0: Live from the Fremont Theatre in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. When I was a little kid and my family would go out to dinner, I would stand up on the booth bench and peer over the wall and introduce myself. <laughs> it wasn't so much that I was a super chatty kid, it was that there was something captivating about being on a threshold, about being both here and there at the same time. Twenty years later, the platform for finding those thresholds was travel, and I became obsessed with going places and chasing those opportunities to meet new people. I was living in New Mexico in my early 20s and had a coinciding Um, end of lease, and job with my dear friend, Angie. Angie and I were the kind of friends where we could sit and do nothing for hours and have the most magnificent time. And she and I decided that with this month of time that we had free together, naturally, we should go on a road trip. But we decided that instead of spending money, to travel. We wanted to make money. And so we decided that the means of doing that was to go trim weed in Northern California, (laughs) just like any good young 20-something would do. To my middle-class, middle-western, middle-aged parents, the idea of travel had value. But the idea of aimlessness, especially career aimlessness, did not. And trimming pot is the ultimate form of (laughs) anti-professionalism. So I elected to omit select details when I told them where I was going. Angie and I filled my small Silver Civic with cheap beer and snacks and camping supplies, and we headed west, the proverbial direction of optimism. We camped in northern Arizona and southern Utah, and we eventually found ourselves in the vacant, vast, monochromatic plain of Nevada. And we were driving down the road with the windows down and the static radio up and tumbleweeds blowing across the road and in the against the brown background of the landscape we saw a glimmer of pink and green it was like a neon mirage and so we pulled into the parking lot and my friend Angie says I think this is the bunny ranch In the second building in this complex, we see a sandwich board out front announcing free tours. So naturally, we go and knock on the door. Angie and I are like a couple of tumbleweeds blowing along the highway. So when this middle-aged lady answered the door and saw us, it wasn't surprising that she was somewhat disappointed with who she was greeted with. And she said, yes, and looked at us very skeptically. And we said, hello, we're here for a tour. And she kind of rolled her eyes, but let us in. And we walked into this very ordinary looking house. It was like we were visiting grandma. And the sentinel disappeared around the corner and reemerged comes Pamela. And Pamela fits the part. She is adorned exclusively with very small postage stamp sized taut bits of cloth covering the most private areas of her body. She has a matted nest of blonde hair (laughs) perched on top of her head. Hello, ladies, she says, and we start the tour. Pamela eagerly shows us first the bathroom, and then a bedroom. It looked like any ordinary suburban home. And then we end in the master bedroom, and the three of us sit on this gigantic California king bed. And Pamela tells us about how she's in culinary school, and she has aspirations of going to Italy to learn how to make homemade pasta. We could have been having this conversation over breadsticks at Olive Garden. <laughs> Interspersed with this very ordinary conversation, Pamela also told us about the NYPD parties, retirement parties that she had been to, and casually dropped the line, well, you ladies know the difference between a five dollars and a $500 blowjob. <laughs> of course we didn't, but we nodded agreeably. <laughs> And as the conversation finished, (laughs) Pamela shows us out. And as we're making our way toward the exit, we walk through the back office of the Bunny Ranch. And a couple doughy, middle-aged men are sitting at their monitors inputting data into Excel spreadsheets. This was a business, after all. Angie and I get back in the car, and we continue west. And we laugh that we have just had this very ordinary conversation with such an extraordinary figure. We make our way up the California coast through Big Sur and through the Sequoias and we reach our destination town. And this town is called Covelo, California. And Covelo is a very idyllic sort of pastoral town. And even though when you enter, you're greeted by the aromatic evidence of what supports the economy of this place, it's very beautiful, and all of the gardens are filled with organic vegetables, and there's children playing in the yards. And we pull up to a home that looks just like the rest. There's massive amaranth plants poking from the front yard and there's an elegant, hippie woman sitting on a front porch with scissors and a green plant and a tray. And the person that we're meeting is the son of someone who I had met years before, and this woman had told me, if you're ever looking to make it rich quick, call my son. And of course, that's what Angie and I were trying to do. We were there to, to get rich quick. And so, this woman's son, Rio, comes out of the house, and he has sort of exaggerated features, and he has long, loose, curly black hair cascading down his back, and he greets us, and he seems perfectly fine and normal, and he sets us up with some work, and Angie and I get to work. It's very boring. It's very menial, and there's nothing glamorous about it at all. But Angie and I are the kinds of friends who can sit and do nothing and have the grandest time. (laughs) So we're enjoying ourselves, and we're getting rich. A couple hours later, Rio reemerges, and dusk is settling upon us, and he invites us in to dinner to eat with his family. And of course, we accept. We're very hungry. So we go inside, and there's fumes of delicious vegetables and obscure grains bubbling up from the stove. And Rio's family is sitting, his wife and his three adorable children. They're all gathered at their dining room table. And Angie and I serve ourselves a plate of food, and we turn back to the table, and there's nowhere for us to sit. So we just stand there and start eating. And at one point, one of the daughters looks up and says, you know, it's bad for your digestion to eat while you're standing. And Rio looks at his daughter and nods very approvingly. And we're like, okay. And so the girl pulls up these five-gallon buckets for us to sit on, and Angie and I, in a somewhat demeaning fashion, sit down and eat our meal off of our laps. And at this point, the dream that it seems Rio has on the surface starts to erode, and we realize that there is something bizarre happening with this family. (laughs) After dinner, Rio says he'll take us down to the house where Angie and I will be staying, and so we're a stone's throw from that main house, and we walk in the door, and he leads us to the back room, and there's one tiny twin bed. He's like, here you guys go. And we're like, all right, well, you know, we've been camping, we're like young, we can rough it, that's fine, whatever. Rio starts to leave, and at the doorway he pauses, and he turns back and says, if you smell something funky, it's because we pulled a dead man out of here yesterday. I'm like, okay. So we have a fitful night's sleep. Surely there were some fresh phantoms in that room. But over the course of the next couple days, we do more work, and we're getting richer and richer. And so everything's okay. A couple nights later, Angie and I are in our little cabin. We're fixing ourselves a massive tray of nachos, and Rio shows up unannounced. But it's his house, so that's okay. And he flings himself down on this couch in the living room and lets out this long, exasperated sigh. And he starts detailing his marital problems to us. We're like we're just going to ignore this and keep eating our chips because we don't know this guy, and it's kind of fucking weird to hear about all of his problems. And so a couple minutes later, Rio starts talking about this documentary that he recently watched about New York lesbians who try on different kinds of hats. And he turns to us and he says, do you ladies ever try on different kinds of hats? (laughs) And Angie, who is far smarter and more perceptive than I am, immediately picked up that he both thought that we were a couple and that he was asking us for a three-way. And she said, no, and no. (laughs) And we verbally pushed Rio out the door. And we're like, that was alarming, but we can move on. (laughs) So we keep eating our nachos. And a few minutes later, the porch light lights up. And it was one of those motion-censored lights. And we hear this scampering, running away. And we're like, hell no, we are out of here. That is way too creepy. We're done, it's not worth getting rich to have a creep breathing down our backs. So Angie and I load all of our stuff up into the little Silver Civic, and we head back to Santa Fe, and when we get there, we realize that we have exactly broken even. (laughs) And she and I end up renting a little house together, and we live as roommates for a year, and after a year, we both move on to other things. And my moving on eventually led me to Portland, where I got a job at a small media company helping to produce documentaries. So even though I have peered into some strange lives, now I'm getting paid to look.